If you have your Bible with you, you can turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6, we're, uh, we're coming to the end of the book of Galatians. This, is, this section, verses 6 through 10 in chapter 6, is the final, the final exhortation, really, in Galatians before Paul goes to his conclusion, um, which will take one more sermon, so it won't be done exactly today. So let me give you just a quick summary of what we've seen through Galatians and then especially what we saw last week in the first five verses of chapter 6. So through, through Galatians, Paul has been, of course, rebuking these false teachers called Judaizers. We talked about it every, pretty much every time in Galatians. They were teaching that the Gentiles uh, there in Galatia, they, they can't be saved in the gospel alone. They said that Gentiles must, yes, trust in Jesus. He's the Jewish Messiah. Therefore, you must trust in him, his death, his resurrection. But if you're a Gentile, you also must be circumcised according to the law of Moses in order to be saved. And throughout Galatians, Paul has refuted this teaching. And he has repeatedly called the Galatians and us to freedom in the gospel. He said believers are free from seeking their righteousness by works of the law. That's really what the whole book has been about. Now, now, the law is good. It's not a bad thing. So we've made that very clear as we've walked through this. The law is good. The law is holy. The law shows us God's perfect standard, shows us God's righteous nature. But it also shows us that to be righteous by works of the law, it requires absolute perfection. And as fallen sinners, we can't accomplish that. Even if you started today and said, I'm going to do it from now on, if that were possible, it doesn't matter. You have to have been perfect from the moment you're born to the moment that you pass from this life. We haven't done that and we can't do that. So Paul's message has been that we're free in the gospel. By grace through faith in the gospel, Jesus died in our place paying our penalty for sin. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, fulfilling the covenant of God, and he rose from the grave, granting us life because we are united to him by grace, through faith. Now in Christ, we've received a perfect righteousness before God. And we've received the Holy Spirit who changes our hearts as he indwells us, the promise that God made in the prophets. Now the believer, the one who has been born again, lives from a new heart by the Spirit of God. That This heart desires Christ. It desires to follow Christ. And this heart causes us to live in such a way that it fulfills what the law intended. We live out loving God and loving one another, loving our neighbor from the heart now because of the Spirit. And then in chapter 5, Paul made a clear contrast between the flesh, the old nature, the old sinful nature, and the spirit who now indwells us. He gave us two different lists to show us what a life lived by works of the flesh looks like and a life lived in the fruit of the spirit. The works of the flesh, we saw they all focus on self Hatred, anger, division, rivalry, jealousy, sexual immorality, they all focus on me, what I can get, what I'm willing to fight for, for me, for self. But the fruit of the Spirit all focused outwardly on loving one another, love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And we saw that these lists are not just new laws that we have to keep in order to earn salvation, they're the evidence of where we stand. 
Paul said that those who live by the works of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. Chapter 5, verse 21. But you don't inherit the kingdom of God by just changing your behavior. Okay, I know you said not to do that, so I'll stop that and I'll start doing the good things. That's not how you inherit the kingdom of God. To move from a life lived in the flesh to a life lived by the Spirit, you must trust in Jesus. You must be born again. And if you are a believer, Paul's command for you who is battling against the flesh, which we all are, is not work harder or be better or do more. It was simply keep in step with the Spirit as he's producing fruit in your life. Last week in the first five verses of chapter 6, we saw what keeping in step with the Spirit looks like in the body of Christ. That's what Paul's talking about. So let me, what I want to do is I want to read that passage, the one we studied last week first. So we have context going into verse 6. And we see what keeping in step with the Spirit looks like. In chapter 5, verse 25, it says this. If we live by the Spirit, if we have life in the Spirit, if we've been born again, is what he's saying. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Last week he showed us that keeping in step with the Spirit in the body means we restore our brothers and sisters who are caught in transgression with gentleness. We bear one another's burden all the while keeping watch over our own hearts so that spiritual pride doesn't rise up in us. And now in 6 through 10, he's going to continue this thought with more instruction for what keeping in step with the Spirit means and what it looks like in the body of Christ. In verse 6, he says this, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh. Uh, from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray together. Father, we do love you and we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would give us clarity this morning and that uh, you would speak to our hearts. God, we need your presence, we need your spirit to come and to illuminate this word, to apply it to our lives, to show us what you would have us to know in the text of your Holy Scripture, and we thank you for that, God. We thank you for teaching us this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. So here Paul is presenting, keeping in step with the Spirit, and he's presenting it with a picture of sowing and reaping. So in verse 6, the first thing that we're told is that this involves a sharing in the sowing of God's word. So let the one who is taught the word share all good things with those with the one who teaches. Now this verse seems like it comes out of nowhere. That's why I read all the way from 525 to through 610. Because 
We understand, okay, let's keep in step with the Spirit, let's bear one another's burdens, let's love one another, let's do all these things, and then we understand, yes, you're going to reap what you sow, and we understand that, but this is just stuck right in the middle there. We need to remember Paul is giving instructions about walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit within the body of Christ. This is what it means to do good, to bear one another's burdens as it pertains to the teachers of God's Word. Before we get into the application for this, make sure you notice first that keeping in step with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, all the things that Paul has talked about and what we must do as believers, keeping in step and listening to the Spirit, being guided by the Spirit, which is what Paul is explaining through this whole section, it's not done outside of the Word of God. Paul never intends us to see walking in the Spirit as some mystical, ethereal, emotional divining of God's will somehow. It's living by His Word, being taught His Word, keeping in step with what He is doing by letting Him tell us what He is doing. We can't mistake our own desires for the Spirit's leading. The Spirit's desires are clearly articulated to us in the Bible. Teachers and the teaching of God's Word was central from the very beginning of the church. We went through Acts before we went through Galatians. And in Acts 2, we read of miracles and signs done by the apostles' hands. But even then, we're told that the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the exposition of the Word. All those sermons in Acts that we went through verse by verse, sermons by Peter and Paul and Stephen and all of them, they contained extensive quotes from the Old Testament. They were expositing the Old Testament scriptures in light of Jesus and the gospel. They were expositing the word. Being a spirit-led church means that we are a church saturated by the word. Feeding on the word, living by the word. Spirit-led church is a teaching church. But at this point, I want you to see that in Galatia, Judaizers had come into the church. These false teachers. They had come into the church and they were leading the Galatians away from the truth of the scripture, away from the gospel. And Paul, throughout this letter, has rebuked the Galatians for turning from the truth to listen to these guys, to follow after these guys who purported to be teaching the Bible but weren't. Here Paul is telling them, listen, Galatians, help bear the burdens of those who are teaching you the truth, not these other guys. Now this verse and the sowing and reaping verse that comes after this it's been so abused by greedy people trying to fleece the church for money. So let me try to give you some guardrails as we apply this and as we look at it. This is not talking about the Judaizers who were teaching. It's talking about faithful teachers in Galatia who were teaching the Word. The responsibility to teach the Word is immense. You, you prepare yourself in prayer, in, in study of the text, and rightly and clearly saying only what God has said. The job of the teacher, according to Paul in Ephesians 4, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's not to entertain them. It's not to use gimmicks to perform for them. It's not to manipulate them emotionally or put your own agenda into the text and try to push that. It is to say only what God has said. And, and this command to share all good things, it includes pastors, of course, but it's not all of Sunday school teachers, life group teachers, anyone who disciples one another, which is everyone must be discipling one another. It includes anyone that's devoted their life to instructing others in God's word. So, so what does it mean to share all good things? 
First, it means that we're going to take up a collection because Dana and I desperately need a new jet. I'm glad you thought that was funny. I was worried that you wouldn't see the humor. No. The word, the word share, of course, is, it's a verb form of a word that you're probably familiar with, koinonia. It means fellowship or partnership. And almost every time that Paul uses the verb in his epistles, it refers to material goods. So sharing in material things is indeed included. In speaking of elders to Timothy, Paul said the worker is worthy of his wages. But that's not all that it means. I mean, Paul has not changed the subject. He's still talking about what it looks like to keep in step with the Spirit, bear one another's burdens in the body of Christ. Only now his focus is on the teacher and those being taught the Word of God. All good things includes all of the fruit of the Spirit that we just got through talking about. It means you share with those who teach the Word. You share with them patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and all of those things. It includes encouragement and friendship and all of that. And what this command does is it reinforces the fact that the whole body is to share in the Word going forth in people's lives. The Word being taught faithfully because that is God's primary ordained means for growing disciples. The second thing you see in this is the reaping and the sowing. All of us will reap the harvest that we sow. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So back in chapter 5, the Christian life was likened to a battleground. Spirit wars against the flesh. Flesh wars against the Spirit. But here the Christian life is compared to a farm. And the flesh and the spirit are two fields upon which we sow seeds. And the principle is very easy to understand, right? I mean, any farmer knows the harvest you reap depends on what kind of seeds you sow and where you sow those seeds. I mean, it's foolish to think a farmer can can plant corn and a crop of wheat is going to come up, right? But don't skip over the serious warning that Paul gives as he introduces this principle that we all understand. Don't be deceived about this. Don't be fooled in this way. You will reap what you sow. Don't let yourself be deceived by yourself or by others. You will reap what you sow. Don't think that you can mock God. Literally, the word means to turn your nose up at God or to sneer at God. Paul's point is simple. There is a payday someday. Because everyone will reap what they sow. You can't outwit God. You can't fool God. He sees the deepest part of your heart. You can deceive yourself. You can justify your thoughts and your actions with great arguments that sound right. You can deceive others, but you cannot deceive God. He knows what is in your heart. He knows your true motives. He knows your true love. He knows your true thoughts. Paul says, don't be deceived about this. The crop you plant will sprout, and that is what you will reap. Now, make sure you understand, Paul is talking about the same thing that he's been talking about for two chapters. He's talking about the works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit. Sowing to the Spirit is another way of him describing what walking in the Spirit looks like, keeping in step with the Spirit. Paul has not changed the subject. So 
what is sowing to the flesh? Let's start there. I've thought about different ways to explain this to you, but I found this quote from John Stott, which does it way better than I ever could. To sow to the flesh is to pander to it, to coss it, which means to indulge, cuddle and stroke it instead of crucifying it. The seeds we sow are largely thoughts and deeds. Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fantasy, or wallow in self-pity, we're sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company whose insidious influence we know we can't resist, every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying, every time we read pornographic literature, every time we take a risk which strains our self-control, We're sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. And Paul tells us that sowing to the flesh can only lead to corruption. You see it? Many sow to the flesh every day and wonder why they don't grow in holiness. Why they don't grow in love for Christ. Why their passion for Christ is waning. Why their zeal for the Christian life is waning. Corruption is a process of decay. And if one continually lives a life of the flesh, the works of the flesh, you demonstrate that you've never been born again. And in the end, you will perish, separated from God. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. The New International Version translates it destruction. And in context, you can't read corruption any other way than eternal separation from God. Because the parallel expression Paul gives for sowing to the Spirit is reaping eternal life. Paul is saying the same thing that he told us in chapter 5. If we continue living by the flesh, sowing seeds to the flesh, living a life characterized by the works of the flesh, in chapter 5, verse 21, he said, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because though you may have professed faith, you are not trusting in Jesus. And the Spirit of God is not warring against the flesh in you. Jesus said you will know them by the fruit. But sowing to the Spirit, he says, leads to eternal life. Leads to reaping eternal life. Now, this isn't to say that eternal life is conditioned on our obedience or our performance. Paul's point from the whole beginning of this letter, and here as well, is that eternal life is by grace through faith in the gospel. Make sure when you're studying your Bible that you read what the text actually says, not what you think it says. It says, the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Eternal life doesn't come from what you, from the seed you sow or the fruit you produce. It comes from the Spirit Himself. Your sowing doesn't produce life. The Spirit produces life. Sowing to the Spirit, which Paul defines as doing good in the next verses, it doesn't come from keeping the law. It comes by grace through faith in salvation. Grace changes our hearts and as the Spirit indwells us so that we live as new creatures. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, it says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Listen, if the grace that you claim, the grace that you say you live under, doesn't train you to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, then it's not the grace that brings salvation. So Paul is saying here that true, true believers 
Is he saying that true believers live perfect lives? Perfect lives devoted to God and sowing to the Spirit? Of course not. But when a believer yields to the flesh, and we often do, we can't live there because the Spirit makes war on the flesh. The point is, though we are saved by faith alone, the faith that saves is never alone. And y'all are quiet. Everybody okay? True saving faith always produces good works in the life of a believer. James says that faith without works is it's dead. It's not real. It's not true faith. So the works that we do are not the grounds of our salvation. The evidence of it. The evidence of the Spirit working in us. We sow to the Spirit when we keep in step with the Spirit. When we foster habits of, listen to it, listen very carefully. When we foster habits of dependence and trust in God. And that's through prayer, through having our mind renewed by the study of His Word, through worshiping with with God's people. It's when we walk in His will above our own, taking every thought captive to Christ. All of those things. That's when we're sowing the kind of seed that comes from the fruit of the Spirit. But listen, it's not about just doing good things. It's not as if sowing to the Spirit is just doing a bunch of good things. Y'all, come on, let's do some good works. Sowing to the Spirit is doing those things that foster our dependence upon Him. That foster our faith in Him. That that cause us to know our need for Him and our trust in Him and our dependence upon Him. Which keeps us in step with Him. Do you see it? Am I connecting the dots, y'all, with me? Paul says, don't be deceived about this. God is not mocked. Examine yourself whether you be of the faith. Believer, there is a struggle. There is a war. There is a battle with the flesh in every life, in every life of every believer. But the believer in Christ, the one who's been justified and born again, is not one who says, oh no, I must do better to be right with God. The believer knows that they must fight this battle by deepening their dependence and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ and sowing seeds to the Spirit that foster that dependence and that trust. Are you with me? Okay. I'm going to calm down just a minute. Next thing he says is that we're to persevere in sowing good. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. Look, he's still talking about sowing and reaping. Doing good, sowing, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul's final instruction before his conclusion in the letter of Galatians is simple. Do good to all especially those of the household of faith. But he begins with this exhortation. Look at it. Anytime pronouns change in the Bible, you need to pay attention. He says, let us. Paul includes himself. Let us not grow weary in doing good. Let us not lose heart when it comes to sowing to the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, which shows itself in doing good to others. Let us not lose heart when we invest ourselves in service to Christ, devoting our lives in dependence upon Him to doing His will by loving one another. 
Paul understands the reality that loving one another is hard. Bearing one another's burdens is hard. It's tiring. It's easy to become discouraged, to be beaten down, even to the point where you feel like giving up. When we keep in step with the Spirit and we're bearing one another's burdens, we find out just how weak we really are. We experience opposition, sometimes from the very people whose burdens we're trying to bear. And let's face it, when, when we don't see the results that we want or that we expect, it's discouraging. It hurts. It breaks our heart. If you're tired, you're discouraged, you're not by yourself. You're not all alone. Even the most devoted of Christians feel this way at times. The question is, how do we keep from growing weary though, right? We keep our eyes fixed on the harvest to come. Let us not grow weary of doing good because for in due season, literally at the right time, in due, in due time, we will reap if we do not give up. You see what he's doing? He's applying the principle he just said. Everybody reaps what they sow. So don't grow weary in doing good in what you're sowing because in, in due time, you will reap too if you don't give up. In due season, we will reap. We don't have to grow weary in sowing to the Spirit for we know that we will reap what we sow. All people will reap what they sow. It may take time. The fact is, like all fruit, spiritual fruit takes time to grow. John Brown said, many Christians are like children. They think they can sow and reap in the same day. It often is years before parents and teachers and Sunday school teachers and, and disciple makers and preachers see the fruit of their work in someone's life. But whether you get to see that in this life or not is really not Paul's point here. Here Paul is talking about the harvest of eternity. He's focusing our eyes on an eternal perspective. There is a harvest coming. In the parable of the weed and the tares, Jesus said that both the wheat and the weeds will grow together. But there's coming a harvest when they'll be sorted. And we know in the gospel, listen, we've been reconciled to God once and for all, perfectly. It is finished. We've been made righteous before him if we've been born again. Jesus has won the victory for us. It is done. The goal has already been achieved. So if we keep our eye on eternity, knowing that we will reap what we have sown, believing that God can and will use our efforts, all we must do is finish the race. Finish the race where he's placed you. Run with endurance the race set before us, it says in Hebrews 13. I don't have to know his plan. I don't even have to know my part and how I'm supposed to play it out. All I have to do is be faithful where he puts me. If we know that resurrection life is coming, the harvest is coming, eternity is coming, and it's certain in Christ, we can grab hold of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so in verse 10, he says, So then... Because of the certainty that we have, that we will reap what we sow. Because of that certainty, he says, therefore, because of this, so then, 
as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. The word opportunity is the same word that's translated season in verse 9. For in due season we will reap. So then as we have this season, let us do good to everyone. Paul's point is that while we're here on this earth, in this life, awaiting this harvest, we must use this time to serve him. And how do we do that? By doing good. And what is doing good? He's pointing us back to the fruit of the Spirit, church. Sowing to the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, and we fulfill the law, it said, by loving one another, by loving our neighbor, showing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And we're to do good to everyone. We are to love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute us, as Jesus said in Matthew 5. And without neglecting doing good to everyone, Paul says doing good to the household of faith is a priority. Our priority is bearing our brothers and sisters' burdens. We aren't to neglect evangelism and letting our light shine before the world and loving our neighbor as ourselves, but our priority is one another. He says, especially to those who are of the household of faith. The Christian is your brother, your sister. They're bought with the same blood that you were bought with. They're perfectly righteous in Christ, just like you. God sees them as his precious children, as his bride. Just like he does you. You will spend eternity with them. Your brothers and your sisters in Christ represent Jesus before you. Jesus said, as you do to the least of these, my brothers, you do unto me. Timothy George says, for a Christian to be unkind to a Christian is not only wrong, it's monstrous. For we deny the very grace, the very payment for their sin that God has accepted for them. We deny that the Lord Jesus and the cross of Christ is sufficient for them. As it said in verse 26 of chapter 5, we can't bite and devour one another. We're the same body, bought with the same blood. It's like you trying to chew off your hand. So ultimately, the question is really, what, what are we reaping? What kind of seed are you sowing today? Which of Paul's lists characterized your life? The works of the flesh, anger, division, strife, dissensions, jealousy, sexual immorality, drunkenness, or the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Examine the evidence. Salvation is, is given by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. But trusting in his death and resurrection and entrusting our souls to him, when we do that, he justifies us perfectly. And the promise of God is given as the Holy Spirit indwells us and we are a new creation. Eternal life is a gift based on believing, not doing. No one is ever saved by works. But salvation by faith always produces works. 
In the book of Galatians, Paul has repeatedly told us, you cannot earn God's favor by good works. But he has also repeatedly told us that our salvation will result in good works. Please don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. He knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows who you are. And who you are in private is who you are. And there's coming a day when everything done in the dark will be brought into the light. So here's the point. The answer to this question, the answer to this problem is not do better. It's not straighten yourself up. It's not stop doing all these things so you can be right with God and start doing these things so you can be right with God. No, it's trust in Jesus. Depend upon Him. Cast yourself before the cross, trusting that He paid for your sin. And believer, if you are one who's battling with the flesh, as we all are, and you find yourself on the losing end of this battle more often than not, and it's breaking your heart and it's tearing you apart, The answer for you is not do better. It's not work harder. It's keep in step with the Spirit by sowing to the Spirit. Do the things that foster dependence and trust in Jesus. Go to Him in prayer. Commune with Him. Draw your strength from Him. Go to His Word and hear from Him. Have your mind renewed by that Word. Fellowship with one another. Sing praises to His name. Do the things that sow to the Spirit. When he says do good and be good and all these things, we're not talking about just, hey, come on, guys, let's do great things. Let's do good things. We're supposed to be nice and kind and loving people. We're supposed to do great works. No, he's saying so to the Spirit so that you will trust God more, so that you will deepen your dependence upon the gospel and that you will keep in step with what he is doing in you. We do what fosters our dependence and trust in him And then the fruit of the Spirit shows in our life. The evidence of that will be seen. So the answer is not do better. Work harder. Learn more. The answer is so to the Spirit because you are weak and I am weak. But it's in His strength. It's in our weakness that His strength is made perfect. So if we know that we're weak and we know that we can't battle the flesh on our own... We have to sow to the Spirit so that we will trust more and depend on Him more. Not in order to earn salvation. Faith like a mustard seed. You can say to this mountain, it's not the amount of faith that saves you. It's Jesus that saves you. It's our faith that causes us to walk in His way knowing we can't do anything else. Sow to the Spirit and you will reap eternal life. From the Spirit. Trust in Christ. I guess that's the point of the message today. Trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. God, Lord, we do love you and I thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the salvation that you've given. God, help us to depend on you. As believers in here, God, that we're fighting with the flesh. We're fighting with all kinds of things. God, I pray that you would just give us peace, knowing that you've won the battle, that you have finished what needs to happen, that we're righteous before you because of Jesus and for no other reason. 
And as we war against our sin, against our flesh, God, help us to trust you all the more, knowing that we can't fight this battle on our own either. Only you can do it. Help us to keep in step with the Spirit. Yield ourselves to the Spirit. Help us to love one another. And God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray that you would call upon them today. Show them their life is characterized by works of the flesh and nothing but the flesh. And there's no battle, there's no fight, there's no war. God, I pray that you would convict hearts and that you would draw them to yourself. Show them the cross. Show them the life, the death, the resurrection of the Son that you have sent to pay the penalty. And that they would trust in that payment. That they would entrust themselves to Christ and be born again. God, glorify your name and enlarge your kingdom. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As always, I'm going to stand right down here. I'd love it if you want to come. Will you stand with me?